Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Do you believe in miracles? Okay, well, uh, then may the Lord bless you and keep you. (laughs) I do as well. And I'm glad that there were some strong affirmations out there. Uh, When I was about 14 years old, uh, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, uh, after the operation, uh, the doctor sat down with her and my dad and uh, said, I'm so sorry. Uh, The cancer has spread. It has gone into the lymph nodes. And uh, we can do some treatment, but our best guess is you have about six weeks to six months to live. She lived for another 30 years. As, uh, as she returned her visits to the oncologist, they went from weekly to monthly to every six months to every year. And in one of those visits, the physician said to her, every physician I know has at least one miracle story, one miracle patient, and you are mine. Miracles. Things that defy the laws of nature. Miracles are one of the reasons, and I find this a little ironic, But miracles are one of the reasons that atheists point to to deny the existence of God. You cannot violate the laws of nature. Therefore, miracles, by definition, cannot exist. I'm not sure that I follow the logic there, although I do understand a a little bit of of the sentiment. And in the post Enlightenment years, there was a shift that occurred even within Christianity of those who said, well, if we are going to be enlightened, if we are going to be thinking people, if we are going to be smart, we need to somehow be able to distance ourselves from the miracles that we find in the Bible. Because intellectually, they don't make sense. I find it interesting that we as intelligent people, when we come up against something that we do not understand or that appears to defy the laws of nature, that we think we can simply say It doesn't exist. And I think of the ostrich sticking its head into the ground. Nope, nope, 
doesn't happen, can't happen. And yet we know they do. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the second chapter of John. Yes, we are in the second chapter of John. So much rich theology is packed into that first chapter of John. I hope that you go back and you read it and reread it often. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully divine. Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, through whom all things were made. By the way, I, we'll get there in a minute. I think that the, the chapter two is the, the first recorded miracle of Jesus' earthly ministry. But I think the first miracle is actually in chapter one, verse three. Uh, through him, all things were made. Just stick that in the back of your mind for right now. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus in the garden, Lord, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Reminiscent of a substitute that was given to an earthly father as he prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. The Lamb of God, reminiscent of the lamb that was slaughtered and the blood put on the posts and the lentils of the homes in Egypt when the angel of death passed over and delivered them from slavery. As death now passes over us who have life in Christ, delivering us from the slavery of sin. Jesus, the most unique individual in all of history, begins his earthly ministry by calling disciples, by inviting them to come alongside and say, just come and see, just come and see. A refrain that was picked up by the disciples as they invited others. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. That would be a miracle. Come and see, just come and see. Chapter 2, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have, more no, they, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to. By the way, that's good advice for all of us. <laughs> do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Do the math. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. 
He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. <coughs> and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee, thus revealing his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. The miracle of Cana, water turned into wine. There are so many things that we could talk about in this passage and so many questions that arise. Who, who was getting married? What, 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 what did Mary think that Jesus was going to do when, he to, when she told him that there was no more wine? By the way, that was a huge faux pas back in that day. So, so much expectation. And a, and a wedding service would last for a week. You had to have plenty of provisions. If you failed to take care of your guests, not only was that an embarrassment to you, but believe it or not, could result in legal action against you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sometimes it's just good I keep my mouth shut. Whatever he tells you to do, do. And they have these purification water jugs. What we need to understand about first century Judaism is there's a chain of events and what those, what those jugs represented. And we could, we could talk about the fact that they were water and it was turned into wine, and not only was it turned into wine, but it was turned into the best wine. And yeah, you, don't, you, you serve the best wine first, and then when the palate is shot, then you bring out the two-buck chuck. <laughs> they did it the other way around. And, and in abundance, and there, you know, the people have said, okay, there what? <coughs> wasn't, I mean, and, and people are uh, all over the map on this. Well, wasn't really wine, because we can't condone drinking wine because, you know, that's a, that's a sin. And drinking wine is not a sin. Uh, drinking, maybe for you, if you have a, an, an, uh, an alcohol problem, uh, then, then it, it's a problem. And for, if it's sin to you, it's sin to you. But nowhere in the Bible, in fact, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. All things in moderation. Um, uh, but these stone pots, large, filled with water for, for, for purification rites, this is part of the ceremonial law that, that, that Israel was living under. And some parts of the communities still do today. It's, it's, the idea is that we are dirty. And that the first thing that we need to do is to purify ourselves before God. And so we symbolically take this water out of these stone jars at the beginning of the ceremonies and, and we, we symbolically purify ourselves through this water. The, the purification then allows us to 
come before God. And as we come before God being purified, the hope is that once we get everybody doing that, then God will eventually restore the glory of Israel. They long for those days of King David when Israel was at its peak. And, and, the, and the prophets said that the son of David will, will reign on the throne forever. And they envisioned the son of David coming as a mighty warrior to restore the glory of Israel in that region of the world. And Jesus takes that rite of purification and literally turns it on its ear. And he brings in wine. Interesting, if you look at the history of wine, and well, they drank wine because the water was bad. No, not all the water was bad. They drank wine because they could, it was available. Well, no, 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 it was grape juice. It wasn't grape juice until Pasteur. Before pasteurization came along, there was no way to stop the fermentation process. It was wine. You have grape juice. If anybody's grape juice turns into wine this morning, I want to know. <laughs> when, when Abram was on the battlefield after defeating the five kings, he met with Melchizedek who brought bread and wine to the gathering. Of course, we know that the night before he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples and there was bread and wine at the table. This would be the time that you'll want to get your elements out. The purification process under which Judaism operated was an external process. You'll remember at one point in his earthly ministry, Jesus says to the religious leaders of the day, you are as whitewashed tombs. You make the outside look good, but the inside is rotten to the core. You cannot work from the outside in. And so Jesus takes that idea and turns it on its head and turns the water into wine. A miracle. When he was gathered with his disciples in the upper room, he took bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Lord, how grateful we are to be able to share in the sacrament this morning, remembering the body of Christ broken for us, that we might gain access to you, knowing that through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And may we constantly, Lord, be evaluating our lives, confessing our sins to you, that we may receive the full measure of grace this table affords, we who believe. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The body of Christ given for you and me, take and eat, all of you.
In a similar manner, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, all of you, and know that I will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. This cup is service and sacrifice and for us salvation. Pray with me. Lord, who are you calling us to be? What does it mean for us to call ourselves Christians, apprentices, followers of Jesus, disciples? Why do we call him Lord and not do what he asks us to do? Lord, we desire to be faithful servants, followers of Jesus. Renew that call in our lives as we partake of the sacrament this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Take and drink of the cup of redemption. You see, it's inside out. It starts internally. And that's the miracle of our salvation. Is that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, would not only reveal to us how we are to live with one another through, a, through an ethic that has been given to us in Scripture, punctuated with grace. Jesus who dies on the cross for our sins, who three days later is risen from the grave, that same power that brings Jesus back from the grave is at work within us, transforming us into his image that we may follow him as his disciples ascended into heaven where he reigns and holds all things together by the power of his word until that day he returns. We have in this miracle a prefiguring, a foreshadowing of communion. Did you do the math? Six stone Jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, speaks of God's abundance. And Jesus said it, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. A miracle. The first of many. Not the first at all. God said, let there be light. Out of nothing, he created something. You've heard the story of the scientist and God squaring off and the scientist saying, I can do anything you can do. And God said, oh yeah, make, make life. So the scientist reaches down and grabs some dirt from the ground and God says, ah, make your own dirt. Now, some things we call miracles that aren't really miracles. 
You know, there was this woman, she was very devoted, very devout in her prayers, and she was trusting in, 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 in Jesus for everything, and she was getting a little low on her funds, and so she started praying for groceries. And the neighbor was an atheist, and he was sick and tired of listening to this woman and her prayers and her faith and just going on and on and on. And so he went out and he bought groceries and put them on her front steps and then hid in the bushes. And she comes out and she sees the bushes. She, she sees the groceries and she says, thank you, Lord. It's a miracle you provided. You provided for me. I'm so grateful. He jumps out of the bushes and says, ha. God didn't provide those groceries. I provided those groceries. There was no miracle there. And she says, oh, Lord, not only did you provide groceries, but you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> you know, I get that not all things happen miraculously. We're, 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 we're hoping for a youth center across the street, but it won't be a miracle. It, it'll, it'll, it'll be a reflection of generosity. You know, I think, about, I think about the pastor who came to his congregation and says, I've got bad news, good news, and bad news for you. The bad news is the sanctuary. It needs a new roof. That's the bad news. The good news, the good news is that we have the money to pay for the new roof. And the bad news is that money is still in your pockets. <sighs> but all kidding aside, we worship a miracle-working God who owns the cattle on a thousand hill and the wealth in every mine. And I have always believed that God would provide what we needed to move forward to know Christ and make Christ known in this community. And if for any reason those funds were to pull back, well, then we were to pull back in our ministry. And if the funds were made to move forward, we would move forward with our ministry. But behind it all has to be the recognition that God still works miracles. John Mosier was telling us about a, a, a debate that he heard between, uh, between uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, noted atheist, and Hugh Hewitt, who is a radio uh, uh, commentator. And, uh, and Dawkins says to uh, Hewitt, you can't possibly tell me that you believe that water was actually turned into wine. And Hugh Hewitt said, I absolutely believe it. And Dawkins said, oh, my God. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. How hard do you think it would be for the person who spoke, and I do believe that God is a person, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How hard do you think it would be for the one who created everything out of nothing to change a couple of atoms? 
There are miracles that happen all around us each and every day, things that we can't even begin to understand. Our heart continues to beat. A child is born. The love of a friend. The rising of the sun. Beauty, color, wonder. Miracles are all around us. But when we see them every day, we can grow callous if we are not careful. Oh, God is still at work. He's still at work through the generosity of his people. And every now and then, he defies those laws of physics to remind us of who really is in control. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I don't know about you, but I, for one, am glad that there are miracles and mystery in the world, especially when those miracles and mystery find their source in God. I don't ever want to get to the place where I think I can fully and completely comprehend and understand who God is. Because my fear is that if I could do that, if I could put God in a box that my mind could contain, that I would set him on the shelf and go about my life as if I were in control. God is the legitimate mystery in our lives. And miracles are just one of the many ways that he reminds us that he is still sovereign, that he is still in control, and that he is still involved in our lives. Some of you said that you believed in miracles, and I'm grateful. I would encourage you to continue that conversation. And if someone says, yes, I believe in miracles, then ask them about the miracles that have occurred in their lives. And if you have a miracle story, share it with someone. It will strengthen all of our faith.